Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bonker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. Gooses. Geeses. I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. It will, sweetheart. At least a hundred a day. Anything you say. And by the way, what? I want a feast. You ate before you came to the factory. I want a bean feast. Oh, one of those. Cream buns and donuts and fruitcake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts. You're going to have all those things when you get home. No, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me <laughs> now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them like braids in my hair and I don't want to share them. It's the Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So, uh, have you guys recovered from the packy chip hurricane yet of last week? <laughs> have you recovered? That's the real question. I, I think I might have just recovered. I just got home. I mean, maybe we don't do any more of those uh, road reports. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe there's nothing that can be gleaned from being out on the road. It started off promisingly. I thought I was like, okay, Scott's in a groove, and uh, that ship wasn't messing around, man. <laughs> you didn't learn your lesson from the doomed. You Listen, just went right at it. I thought it, I, I, I thought it'd be funny, and you know, for thirty seconds it was funny. Well, for thirty minutes it was funny. <laughs> it's not a funny episode to me. It 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 is painful to listen to as it was to to live through to record. You were really putting your best face on, though. You didn't seem distressed. You kind of just kept going for the first couple minutes. Staying on mic and on camera, and um, I don't know, at some point you just got up and bailed. And Yes, I thought it was going to be okay, and then it just got bad. But honestly, it didn't get so bad until after we were done recording. Because wow. for another hour after we stopped, it, that's, when, that's when the real dark night of the soul happened. And, and hey, what do you guys think about this? Should we... Uh, Try to do an episode or two without the word fuck in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe we try that. I mean, fuck. Obviously, this isn't going to be the episode, but 
But uh, that was a lot of cursing. That was maybe it's because I've just seen Raging Bull. But uh, oh, which I watched the next day, and you're right, it is the best movie ever. Isn't it great? It's just, it's got. It's like so it's much nothing it. it's but rich. great scenes. It's like every single scene is like, oh, this is the greatest scene. But every scene in Goodfellas is a great scene too. But but there's something like the stuff on the margins of Raging Bull. It's just such a rich piece of work, and and yeah, I don't know. Gabe, I I need to see it. <laughs> I'm waiting for the colorized version. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I I apologize. Yeah, I thought it was going to be one for the books, and it was. It just wasn't the kind of book that you want to read. Yeah, we were all surprised when we saw this package ship. We didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I thought it was a book. I thought it was a book about something. <laughs> it's a, book a coffin. Of the dead. What am I supposed to read? <laughs> it's a coffin. <laughs> It's a fu- first of all, it's in a fucking coffin. But there were some questions, weren't there? Did we, did we get to them? Well, first, before we get to questions, Gabe, who have we got on the show today? I'm excited about this one because yes. we've been waiting a long time. You've been talking about this. You've been threatening to get Louise Post on the show. I've been cultivating this caper for uh, over a year. And uh, we finally, we finally got her. Finally, getting. Have we said who it is yet? Louise. The Louise, Louise Post. Yes. The Louise Post. The Louise Post, who um is working on a solo record. Her first solo record, which sounds weird to say because, you know, I feel like she's she's got such she's. Always had this voice since that first Veruca Salt record. Uh, not just a voice, but a voice. You know, she has a way of writing songs and a way of saying things and saying what she wants to. And and so, so the track that I've heard from this record is pretty great, and I, I'm pretty excited to hear the rest of it. Um, so, but Louise Post is is here. It's gonna be great. I can feel we'll it. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, she might not even show up. Mm. What were you going to say, Ben? Uh, I was going to start plowing through a couple of these questions. Oh, okay. All right. But let's, let's. Mo, 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 a lot of people wanted to know about an upcoming tour and here comes the zoo anniversary and all that stuff. And um, I, you're probably still not ready to say much, but. They want to know about a here comes the zoo tour. They want zoo tour info. When might, when might we start seeing dates for the zoo tour? How much do I need to pay to get you to, to Australia on this tour? There are no Australian dates that I've seen, but I have seen a couple of dates in a different country that some of our neighbors might be very excited about. I'm excited. And, and that probably means there's a reissue coming, Gabe? Some in the works there? Yes, uh, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have a reissue. And uh, how you doing over there? We, you, you, I'm you, doing all right. You, you I'm, need I'm, to you need to suck on a shake or something like that. No, I'm getting. <laughs> it's, it's almost midnight over here. What are you doing? You're you're back in the Central Coast time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I left Coast. Rhode Island. I left Rhode Island yesterday. And you're back home. I'm back home. 
How uh, was that get, Rhode Island sh- that show in uh, Rhode Island? How'd that go? It was good. Well, yeah, I'm back in town because we've got the sh- show. Wickerfest. Wickerfest. Wicker Park. Up. Wicker Park Fest. Wicker Park. Wicker Fest. Man. The Wicker Man. When this plays, we'll be playing tonight at eight thirty. If you're listening to this on the way to the show, hurry up. We go on at eight thirty. Awesome. Jay Bennett has a bunch of questions. One, who would win in a street fight, H or the married men? And I'm assuming like the married men, you know, got you outnumbered. Mm. Am I? What team am I on? Well, that's a good question too. Because, Which team would you like to be on? Well, I mean, I can't let Ryan just. True. You know, I'm going to let him go by himself against Tom Sedone. Maybe you're on both teams and you have to decide would the local H version of Scott Lucas be able to beat up the married men version of Scott Lucas? I have been accused of playing for both teams a few times in my life. Gabe just silently nods his head. Yes, you have. (laughs) I've never accused you of that. Uh, Jay also wants to know if you've got a bucket list of bands to share a bill with that you haven't yet. Allison Chains. Next question. Dream venue you've yet to play. No. Play the Metro. We're good. We're good. They're they're having their 40th anniversary this weekend. Go ahead. Favorite David Gilmore solo. Ooh. Who's asking this? Jay Bennett. He's got a lot. Still? Of- what is he? Do you want me to skip to the next person? What the hell is he writing a an article? Yeah. By proxy? Yeah. Favorite? All right. Now, I could go deep, okay, with David Gilmore. Gabe knows I can go deep. Gabe, can I go deep on the David Gilmore solos? Yeah. Are you going to take one out of the Live at Pompeo recording, or are you going to go with something? Wait, wait, hold on. Pompeo? What did you just Mike Pompeo? Pompeo. <laughs> Live at Pompeo? I always do that. Pompeii? Where is it? John, wait till John Oaks gets a hold of that one. <laughs> it was a Freudian slip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a Freudian slip? It's a, so, one of my Yogi Bearisms. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but okay, I could go deep. I could go solo, you know, record. I, but, you know what's a great great David Gilmore solo is the solo for Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. It is amazing and every time I hear it, just the tone, the notes that he picks, it's a brilliant solo. I mean, you know, sometimes most popular is better. This is the bestest. Any non-Jay Bennett questions? Uh, one more Jay Bennett question. That okay, was one more one. Jay Bennett. Neil Peart or John Bonham? Wow, Sean Bonham. Okay. Are there more? Because Jay's actually pretty good here. There's one more. I hope uh, his student paper appreciates all the work that you're putting <laughs> into this. What song do you repeatedly listen to and think, fuck, I wish I would have written that? All of them. We Float by PJ Harvey is a pretty good one. Uh, Surrender is Probably the greatest pop song ever written. Uh, Gabe, what about you? Uh, 
You know what song it gets cut in my head every time I hear it? It's and you you mentioned it earlier today, the Jenny. Eight six, eight, six seven, seven five, five three nine. nine. How eight. do you get numbers to be the name of your song and it be a hit? That's even it's just impossible. Well, it's a phone number. I know, but And it was back then when you had to remember phone numbers and they were written on the wall. It's highly, highly relatable. Yeah, but to write a song that has numbers in the chorus and it's just a phone number and it's a catchiest hook you ever heard. Let's throw out some other songs that have numbers as their titles. There's 99 by Toto. There's probably some other like... Balloons. Right. There's probably some other phone number song from like the doo-wop era that I feel like 8675309 is almost like referencing. Nine, Transylvania 6 3000? Yeah. 22 Acacia Avenue. There you go. See, is that so crazy? Twenty five forty one is a great Grant Hart song from Husker. Twenty five or six two four. Twenty five or six two four. There you go. Cygnus X one. I don't know what that Mm -hmm. is. Rush. Is twenty one twelve a song? Yes, it is. Does he sing twenty one? Does he sing the numbers twenty one twelve? No. In the song. No. Hold on a second. Listen to this, Scott. And I, my mind was blown when I found this out. Brian Adams, Summer of 69, is not about the year 1969. Did you know that? No. I can only imagine what it is about. It's about the sexual act? Yes, it is. Come it's on. Nice. Where Look did you up. find this out? It's the truth. You're, you, you, this coming from the guy who thinks Eddie Money said her tits were shaken. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it was in the news. It was on, I don't know if it was on Blabbermouth, but it was on something. It was out there on the I, wire last speaking week. Speaking of Jenny, 8675309, here's a good question. Um, Russ Spice and Fred Mercado and Barry Fay and Rick Branch. Do you remember Rick Branch, Gabe? No. So they asked me to play with them for this thing in Kenosha. And we used to have a band together. Uh, oh. And I thought, oh, all right, that'd be fun. So I thought we'd play what we used to play, stuff like Scorpions and Judas Priest and Metallica. And I thought we'd break out this song that, I, you know, our originals. I thought it was going to be something like that. Turns out it's for this uh, Zion Benton reunion shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say yes? Well, I told him yes before. And then I, I was like, wait, wait a minute, hold on. Is this for this reunion thing that, that you know... That I heard about the other day, they're like, "Yeah, I'm like, all right, well, so what are we playing?" So they're like, "Well, no one wants to hear us scream and you know the, play all these metal songs." I was like, "What the fuck are we gonna play?" And so they're like, uh, "All right, well, you know, how about Shout by Tears for Fears and you know just a bunch of nonsense." <laughs> but one of the songs they want to play is Overkill. Oh wow! So, <clears throat> so the question, Gabe, is what? What can we play that's like uh, appropriate for like 86, 87, 88 that's not metal? You're talking to the wrong person. That's all I, I listened to at that time. So I don't get it. I'm like, what do you guys want to play? And every, everything that I've come up with, like, nah. And then I was like, all right, well, should we play some Cure or Replacements or something like that? And like, well, I guess if you want to play stuff like that. I'm like, what? What is it that you no, want to play? They, they want to play... What the hell is it? Uh, Do they play stuff now? Are they in a cover band now? 
Well, I don't know, but I, I mean, I know Fred and Russ. I mean, they used to like, they were thrash all the way. Like when we stopped playing together, they went one way and I went the other way, <laughs> and their way was fucking thrash or the highway. Ah, they must I guess be people change. Play. What the what the hell was popular? Oh, Holland Oates and Huey Lewis. That is. I want a new drug. Should we do that? Here, uh, I'll break out the list. So I'm sorry. This is your high school reunion. Not really mine. It's theirs. It's their class. It's my friend Kurt and my friend Russ's class. 35 years? They've 35, yeah. They were in a different grade than you. Right. They were a year older than me. What's what's that one song you always wanted to cover from the 80s? I know. Help me. uh, Help me. That that Queens did or Josh did. uh, Oh, I'm... uh, I might like you better if we slept together. Never say never. Who is that? Romeo Void. Romeo, Romeo Void. Void. Although I think a girl in trouble is a temporary thing is probably more apropos right now. Is that, would that, yeah, that'd be a good one. Oh, that's a good idea, Gabe. I'll write that one down. Anything else? You're a genius. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Louise Post. Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, my God. <laughs> Louise, why why did this take so long? Oh my god, Scott. I was just nervous. I, I think maybe maybe I was just nervous to to get on on this call with such three such handsome, formidable men of wow. rock. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. There she goes on the attack again. <laughs> it's taken us about a year to get you over here. I was looking I through know. the messages back and forth. And first it was because you were working on a project called Veils. Can we say that? Yep, fails. That's okay. Okay. And then it's because you started working on a solo record and you didn't want to do anything until you were done with those things. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought like, why, you know, when we can have this like big sort of like celebration, when I start doing press for this releases, like, let's just wait, 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 like eternally until that happens. So I'm glad that, I mean, it's really funny for, uh, for Gabe and Ben and the listeners, if you guys could see the instant messenger chain between me and Scott <laughs> for the past year. It's really funny. <laughs> Juliana Hatfield lapped you. She did the show twice before we finally got you on. Man, I, you know, I was just listening to the first, ep- the second episode you guys did with her. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, I can't believe how late I am to Winter Western. Although I probably heard it like when I went into that local age deep dive um, before the last time I freaked out and sent you all the, my favorite D- local H songs, Scott. Right. Um, that song rules. Thank you. And I was going to use this opportunity to say, hey, Scott, do you want to do a duet? <laughs> and then I, and then I realized you'd already done one with Juliana. So not only has she lapped me, but she also is ahead of me in terms of like already doing a duet with Scott. And it sounds great. The song is so beautiful and so heavy and so cool. I just loved it. I love the video. Well, you could do a duet with Juliana. Oh, I'd love to work with Juliana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I was actually talking about you and me doing something. Well, I'd so. love to do that, of course. Of okay. Course. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So I was listening. Well, I was trying to listen to the tracks that you sent me today, and I couldn't, they wouldn't download or they wouldn't play. So the only, I was only able to listen to one. And it <laughs> Which was. One? It was, uh, uh, I Still Love You After All These Years, that one? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I really wanted you to. It's called All These Years. Yeah. And I really wanted you to hear Hollywood Hills because Matt Walker plays on that. And I just listened to your episode with Matt. And um, so I thought, oh, I I want Scott to hear this and possibly Ben and Gabe before I do Lifer's podcast with them. Nothing would come Um, up. But after all these years came up and it's fucking great. It's really great. Thank you. Uh, Is the rest of the record like that? Um, it's not all like that. No, there's, um, there's, some um, there's some rock. There is some, um, moody ambient sort of more electronic stuff. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like completely like separating from what I've done in the past, but I'm definitely like charting new pastures and, um, it's, it's just all like, what's been drawing me is something slightly different than what I've done with Veruca Salt in the past. And I'm really excited about it. Right. I mean, this is your first time that you, you like haven't had to shoulder those expectations of delivering something that sounds like Veruca Salt because you've never made a solo record before, right? Exactly. And you just put it beautifully. That's exactly how it felt like being on my own in Veruca Salt with different lineup for those two and a half albums was like so I, I kind of like crumbled under the expectations i couldn't i couldn't have couldn't handle all of that mm-hmm. and then it made, it made me not want to play music anymore and um it took me a long time and then a veruca salt reunion a very happy chapter of reuniting and putting out ghost notes and touring on that where we saw you scott in chicago uh-huh. um it took all of that to then be able to be here where I can like actually step away from not just the band and the sort of all of the history, but the moniker and be like, wear my own name proudly. And I gotta tell you, it's kind of scary. <laughs> like it's, I've always kind of hid behind the band name and I'm not doing that right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it doesn't sound like Veruca Salt, but it sounds like you. And it's it's interesting because like on solo records, that's when people usually get personal, right? But but I mean, you've been writing, you've been writing deeply personal songs for years, so it's kind of weird to think of this as your first solo record. Well, thank you. I I think that that's always what I aim to do is write personal, write personally and uh, sincerely, and um, be authentically myself. Um, I don't, I guess there's no, for me, there's not really an option. It's not like I can just write a farcical song or something <laughs> that doesn't resonate deeply. Um, and, um, you know, bordering sometimes I think on the too, too confessional, but whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not my business to judge my own art. Um, so um, my own output. So I just do it and let go of the results. This is a question I ask myself all the time. Why keep releasing and recording your own stuff? Why not? start writing songs for some up and coming up and coming whippersnapper you know uh, i mean your, your stuff sounds i mean this stuff sounds totally modern i could hear it on the radio you know what i mean i mean i think i know the answer because it's the same for me but i want to hear you say it uh i've been asked this by other people too and um i've kind of dipped my pinky toe into writing for others or with others and mm-hmm. Um, I have a really hard time letting go 
of stuff that feels so deeply personal. I don't know how to do that. Um, I'm not saying I never will, but I, I write songs that uh, would feel weird coming out of someone else's mouth. Um, and they're, they're just, they are just too much me. Somewhere around the time um, I was, I think I was just kind of feeling like, eh, I don't want to do it anymore. Like music mm. is too, music pain. Like the industry is awful. Music is pain. I don't want to relive that stuff. I don't want to like, I, what was it feeling like driven to write? And then I had a baby and as I was carrying her around in one arm, this newborn, I found myself writing a song in my head and I thought, okay, so they're going to come whether I like it or not. Right. And um, they're just going to keep coming. As it happens, I don't much sit down with a guitar and write songs as much as I dream songs and have to write them down, like while I'm heading into a nap. Do you do that, Scott? Do you have dream songs? Every once in a while, but they're always in some weird time signature and it takes forever to get it back into 4-4. Four, four. It's screwed. Do you like, do you get out of bed and like, do you force yourself to yeah. open your phone, voice memos and, and sing it in there and just make sure you have a record of it? Yeah, you gotta do that. Yeah, I did that last night at 1 a.m. Um, I didn't want to get up. No, um, of course not. <laughs> no, but it's like uh, you had to do it. You have to do it um, right. because it's like gold and it will be lost. So anyway, right when when my baby turned two, um, I got a call from Nina saying, I just saw that Mazzy Star is playing Coachella. Why aren't we? And our, uh, an email. And I was like, why don't we start with coffee and see what happens? <laughs> and um, and that was the beginning of our reunion. And that that whole like reunion gate that that like connection reconnection with Nina and Steve and Jim it just gave way to a new chapter of songwriting that um, and collaboration like a level of collaboration that I really hadn't known before. Mm. And since then. Um, I love collaborating. I love collaborating with people. Um, I'm not like, I don't know that I'm a wizard at it, but I try and I'm really inspired by other people and their work and um, and like uh, ideas and things that people are working on. So I love collaboration, but the, the songwriting thing, it didn't stop with that record and I kept wanting to go and I kept wanting, I wanted to make another Veruca Salt record, but the whole team was not on board, at least currently, just presently. Right. Um, it's not, we're not like broken up or anything like that. We're just on an indefinite hiatus. Um, but in the meantime, these songs had to go somewhere. So they turned into these other projects. And I didn't even mean to start Veils, um, but I began it with a couple of friends um, who were parents at my kids' um, kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. um, and they were both musicians and they were in a band in Brooklyn and then had moved back here when she got pregnant and stopped playing music. And so we started teaching music together in our kids' kindergarten class because we went to a public school and there was no music program. And I was like, well, this right. isn't acceptable. Right. And um, she just sent me some old demos and was like, can you do anything with these? And I was, and I said, well, let me take a listen. And I heard some things and I said, do you, can we put these on the chopping block? Like, can I actually like draw from this and kind of repurpose it? And, 
And um, because there's a really good chorus here, but I want to rework the verse or like, I think the bridge is the verse, you know, and stuff like that. And so that's how we started writing together. And um, and it became this thing. But in the meantime, I started doing this solo record. And so that's on pause right now uh, while I do this. Um, and Vales is on pause while you do the solo record, right? Yeah, everything is it's all it's all wacky. Veils is on pause, but it's really good, and I'm so excited to release it. it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Scott. You're the only one who's heard it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) You're working on the record with uh, my old buddy Matt from Lions. How how did that happen? He says hello. Okay. I just saw him. I was just in the studio today. Um, How that happened is. As I mentioned, um, my band got back together and um, we were going on tour in 2014 to support this EP we just put out. And um, this guy, Matt Messer, who is um, the owner of our record label, El Camino, uh-huh. is um, suggested Battle Me, right. which was Matt, Matt Drenick's project. And... Um, we listened to a bunch of bands as openers, potential openers. Actually, I did. I listened because the rest of the band, I guess, didn't really care. And yeah. I said, all right, you guys, you can trust me on this. These guys are good. Let's do it. And um, so they opened for us for a couple weeks. And uh, we got to, and my favorite. I love Battle Me, but my favorite moments were listening to Matt um, warm up in the hallway with his acoustic, just singing with his acoustic. And um, got to know him just a little bit. But later on, um, I reconnected with him when he's moved to my neighborhood from Portland, had a newborn, and um, he ended up engineering uh, the the Veils stuff and sort of producing, co-producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and began at that time, I started sending him songs I was working on by myself and said, I'd really like for you to record these if you're, and he was really down for that. And then a bunch of time passed and he like moved and then moved back to Mount Washington where, um, and he was, uh, he, he and I had coffee and he's like, I really want to produce this. I really want to produce this album. Like I'm your guy. And, um, I was like, great, let's do it. So, um, we started working together, um, and we're doing it piecemeal. So we're like, song, we're going song by song, which is interesting. And right. we're about eight songs in and we're looking to make like a 10 or 11 song album. And he's going to be in the band and he's, um, he's, he's my guy. Yeah, I know Matt for a while. Uh, you're from St. Louis, right? Yeah. And what was that like? Um, what was it like? It was it was a great place to grow up. I loved I loved St. Louis. Um, was there a music scene when you were growing up in St. Louis? So that- yeah, I mean, I grew up going to like stadium shows. So. Um, I know you're not a fan of synchronicity because I did listen to that episode, but, um, and shame on you, but I did go he to liked see that. one of them. He liked one of the two synchronicity <laughs> tracks. Oh yeah, that's right. It's just not as good as the other records. It, it's, it's okay. Not. Fine. Come on. Listen, oh, we don't need to, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but it's, I, I we can, it's fine. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I went to see, uh, the police at, I had, I had Sting's poster on my wall. I had David Bowie's poster on my wall. Um, I had Prince's poster on my wall and I would go to, I, I went to see the police at, um, the arena. I went to see all the classic rock shows. Who and opened up for the police? Rock. 
I don't remember. Oh, wait. I don't know. But here's the people I'll tell you. And it's what I remember from the arena. The police, Fleetwood Mac, Tusk, um, Ario Speedwagon, riding Ooh. the storm out. All like, right. Yeah. Um, Sticks. Thank you. Spikes. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to be Tommy. Um, Shaw. I wanted to say Tommy <laughs> Lee. Tommy Shaw. We had his sneakers. We wore the same sneakers that he did. Um, who else did I see there? I saw Prince uh, on the um, a controversy tour, and then I saw him on the 1999 tour. Remember and when we saw Prince at 930 Club? Oh, my God, Scott. We played that together. Yeah. And they set us up in the balcony right next to the stage. Yes, I do. That was a good one. He came out and played like three songs. Yeah. And then he was like, get the monitors together or I'm out of here. And then he went back to the mic and then it still wasn't right. So we went back. He said, we're out of here. And then it was over. That's right. One of the best shows I've ever seen. The three songs. It was great. Yeah, it was. It was great. And um, I saw the Jackson like the Jackson five victory tour. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I swear to God, it was the best show that I've seen to date. And granted, it might've been my first show ever, but it was incredible. And I was like in the front, like fourth row, like sweat coming off the stage at me. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I don't think that was and, sweat. Uh, <laughs> I think it was hair product. I think that's what that um, was. Pretty sure it was sweat. Those guys were working so hard. Oh yeah, it was that's flying right. Flying yeah. off the stage, and they were like nothing I'd ever seen. And then um, the same goes for Prince and all the shows I saw of him. But um, I so I grew up like staring at the Rumors uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors album. Um, I already know Gabe doesn't own it. I learned that. Um, <laughs> oh, you really you really listen deep into these I, podcasts. I mean, you might I, be the biggest listener of the podcast for a guest no, that came on i'm really not i haven't heard it enough at all but <laughs> that's that's the that, that's, yeah i heard she's I listened heard to, you've listened to it more than gabe has listen to more than <laughs> me. i forgot that i don't even have that album i never had it he had to remind me and you know it wow so do you think was, tusk is better or do you think rumors is better oh well rumors okay rumors good, good. yeah because there not, was that thing that went for a while where people were trying to say tusk was better but that's not true, right? No, I don't think you can. No, I don't think okay. you can make that argument at all. But um, I did enjoy that tour a lot. Um, I mean, that show. And um, but I, I grew up like listening to that record. And, and I had Heart, Dreamboat Annie, and I had David Bowie, Changes One. Uh -huh. um, and I used to hear Golden Years on the radio. And and I, th I think like and I had like Abbey Road and um my brother and sister, my big brother and sister really love classic rock. So I heard Zeppelin and Aerosmith and the Stones and um, I mean, a million classic rock bands that, like just through the floorboards, you know, um, mm -hmm. and that's what made me want to play music like from I wanted to be in a band ever since I, I found out about like music and I found out about Fleetwood Mac and I found I had the mamas and the papas and um, I used to just stare at the album covers. And so I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to write songs. I just didn't know how that would ever happen. And then I, I joined my brother's band. Uh, they were called The Prodigy, not Prodigy, but The Prodigy. Right. And um, not The Firestarters. Right, exactly. And we sang like, 
I sang Go-Go's covers and um, Vanity Six covers. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then I was like hired from that to be in this other band called Vision, the Vision Band, that was an R&B band. And I was what? the only woman uh, and the only white girl and uh, in the band. So did you have like Tina Marie yeah. hair? I sang Tina Marie. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I did. And I sang um, Sheena Easton, Sugar Walls. Nice. Yeah. Were you doing um, like weddings and, I, and stuff like that? No, we did. We played bars. I was 17 or 16, but somehow I got into bars and we played, um, played proms. Like they were the band that everybody wanted. Right. And um, so it was a big deal to be in this band and I never felt worthy. And then the like, the the black women did not like me at the bars that, you know, so I got to play like, I got to play the white bars, but the black bars, they, they asked me and got a, a black singer for that. Uh -huh. And so, um, and then one time they forgot to tell me that there was a gig that I was supposed to be at. <laughs> and I was like, sorry guys, I'm already going to prom. Like I, I'm, that's, you know, what's not happening anymore. And my mom wanted me to go to college, but I wanted to stay in the band. I didn't want to go to college. And right. um, that was sort of the end of that. And uh, in the college, I discovered um, Pixies and Brian Eno and uh, Velvet Underground. And actually that was more high school, but um, things changed. And, um, and I started writing songs. A friend of mine lent me her acoustic guitar when I was 20 and I was living in New York City and on an air shaft, like with no sunlight. Right. And I started, uh, she taught me a, a Ramones cover and Chinese rocks and then um, and gave me the sheet music to the to the Love Boat theme song for some reason. What? And um, yeah, it's a weird memory, right? But she was super cool and sweet and I started writing songs like that that day like basically like i learned a chord and a song came out right exactly then like, that's so how it ju was you just needed a vehicle to get those songs out yeah when is that did how you it move was for you is that oh, how it was yeah. for you scott yeah 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 but i figure but uh, they weren't good <laughs> they were not good <laughs>
Gabe, you don't know Lily Taylor? I don't know yes, anybody do. in, in the movie you industry. Do. do we? We'll tell you about it later. You, you know her. Okay. Did you ever watch Six Feet Under? <laughs> no. You're barking okay. up the wrong tree with this one. <laughs> or, 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 I know what he's... He, she's in Mystic Pizza. Say, uh, uh, is she or is that Annabeth Gish? I always get them confused. Well, it's both. They're, oh, it's, but they're both they're all in, in it. Yeah. Lily Taylor's in a new Amazon show, though, that maybe Gabe has seen that... Um, no, he outer, seen it outer range. You watch that, Gabe? Outer Josh range. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. <laughs> no. Depending on what's how we pronounce his last name. Sorry, no. Louise. Go on. No, no. I want to hear you guys talk. I'm sick of my voice. <laughs> they're gonna go down the movie rabbit hole now, and they're just gonna go around for an hour. What about say anything? Did you ever see say anything? I think we've all seen it, right? I, I well, we've seen it, but yourself, you're crazy. Dude. Have you seen it? I've seen it, but. Not when it came out. I saw it later. Remember the one that sings the song, Joe lies when he cries. No. That'll never be me. That'll never be me. Never, no. Yeah, so does she. All right. Forget it. Louis, so go on. who was married Billy. to Lily Taylor? Or somebody was dating Lily? Billy was married to Lily. No, dating Billy. Lily Taylor. Right? Billy had been, yeah, he had been, he had dated her. They were good friends. And, um... Billy and I were throwing a party and he wanted to invite her. And so anyway, we met and she heard these demos I had just recorded with my brother in St. Louis. And she was a small party and she's like, is this you? And I said, yeah. And she's like, you have to meet my friend Nina. Oh. And then so later Lily that Taylor night, is responsible for Baruch Yeah. That's the yeah. story? Yeah. Wow. Is this an exclusive? Have you told this story before? I'm sorry to tell you, Ben, but uh, many times. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know how I missed that. That's cool. It's in all. It's all. All our bios. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, so no, but it never gets old because Lily was a wonderful thing that happened to us, and she was at a party later with Nina, and she said, um, "Nina, you have to meet this woman, Louise. Like you guys are meant to sing together." And then Lily left town, went back to New York, and Nina and I were left with each other's phone numbers. And um, and we had both been trying to play with people and put ads in the reader and or I'd responded to some ads. What year and, is this right now that you're talking? They, so that was the that was New Year's of ninety one into ninety two. Okay. So that was that was the party. Right. And so we met we talked like January ninety two was our first time. And um we got together. I brought my acoustic guitar over to her house, and um, and I sang her some songs. And then she she pressed a play on a cassette player, and a, a, a song of Jim was playing guitar on it. Jim is Nina's brother mm -hmm. and our drummer. Um, and so her brother Jim is playing the song, and she starts singing to it. And I'm like, first of all, I heard her voice, and I thought it was the best voice I'd ever heard up close and right. secondly i thought and said okay you need to learn guitar play something on your guitar now and so she sheepishly pulled her guitar and played something and i was like here we go now we're talking and um and i said all right and we sang together and i heard our voices and i said when do you want to start how many times can you record a week let's do this how many times can you that's funny i jumped a gun how many times can you rehearse a week 
Right. <laughs> and I used to I used to sit her up in front of my four track and go, okay, I'm gonna press record and you just sing because she just didn't record herself. I was like, this is what we're doing now. You sit here, there's the microphone. We're gonna play, we're gonna record this song now. And so right. I just have all these like demos from when we first started writing and we were just playing acoustics and singing in harmony. Well, you guys used to do that all the time. You know, like no matter where we were, you guys would like be singing together, you know, and it was like, here they go again, they're singing together. And really? Was, we did oh, that? All the time, all the time. We'd be we driving like in, around, they'd start singing, and I was like, oh my God. But um, it just so, it was just right, right out of the gate. It was so natural like that. Oh yeah, for sure. And then when we, we didn't sing together for years and I was singing with other women, it sounds like I was sleeping with other women because mm -hmm. that's, yep. that's kind of what it felt like. But I was singing with other women and some of them with really good voices and it was a joy to sing with them. But just like you said earlier, it was like trying to sound like Veruca Salt without Nina and it just wasn't. And it just, it was like as, as much as I loved singing in harmony, there was nothing like reuniting with her and singing together again. It was like, I think my, my heart, like, you know, like the Grinch, like it just grew in size. Right. <laughs> right. <It> just like, <laughs> it swelled up beyond my body's capacity. No, it was just, it, it was very, it was really more like a, a thawing or something. Right. And it was, it was really like that connection never left. And we never, we never, like, we never missed a beat. So who c came up with the name Veruca Salt? Uh, we were looking up at we were looking up names like in just random books uh, in Nina's apartment, and um, there was one book that had this really it was this beautiful old cover with a dog embossed on it, and it had the name Igloo, and so we considered that name Igloo. And then we were Nina was leafing through Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and we we're looking at different names, and she said Veruca Salt, and I was like, hmm, I like that, and I liked the I liked the the assault, the sonic assault, uh -huh. uh, in you know, inherent in the name, because um, I like the idea of us being a sonic assault. I pictured us like I was really in love with my lady Valentine, and I was imagining that kind of wall of sound right. with um, angelic vocals. I didn't know necessarily that our vocals would be so front and center that that would be what we were. Um, but I like the idea of the sonic assault. And so, right. So you the, had this idea name, that it would be a little bit more blended in with everything. Well, like, um, do you know Cocteau the song twins Wolves? or something? Well, I loved Cocteau twins. Yeah. I loved Cocteau twins. Um, but I also loved Sinead O'Connor at that time, like mm -hmm. really loved her. And, um, the Sundays had just kind of come and gone, but they were such a joy. Like, yeah. um, and we would gravitate towards anyone, any female fronted bands. We loved Juliana Hatfield. Nina turned me on to her. She loved her. And Nina had gone to college in Boston, so she felt like a particular connection. Um, but the name Veruca Salt just kept, oh, we thought about Suzuki Bean. Then the name Veruca Salt just kept coming back. Wait, and what finally was the other one name? Day, Suzuki Bean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, right. but Veruca Salt just kept, kept coming back. How did Local H come about? <laughs> Not as good of a story. I mean, we've, had a, we've had a lot of bands on here that regret their name, but Veruca Salt's a, a kick-ass name. I mean, you, you know, you guys had everything. You had the songs, you had a great name, you looked great. I mean, how fast did things start happening for you guys? 
I see what you just did there, interviewer. <laughs> um, <laughs> still want to know. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a combination of two REM songs. That's all it is. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. But I also think you have a kick-ass band name. What's better mm. than Local H? It's great. Okay. Well, you know, I'm just going to have to disagree with you there. But yeah, okay. I do. I do. I mean, I like our name. I'm happy with it. But um, what happened? Um, we, Nina and I, like, literally would go back and forth to each other's houses for about a year and write songs and I'm bring each other new songs. And I, I had this logging book where I would write down um, everything we were working on. And I waited tables at Andy's Jazz Club on Hubbard mm. State. Mm-hmm. And I had my book at my, my, my waiting table stand. And between like whatever tables, I would sit there and, and log all, everything I'm working on and focus on what we were doing. And I was very organized and what songs we were working on and what songs we had recorded on my four track. And, um, and so we, we were just writing and writing and then we got fuzz pedals and started playing knockoff SGs and, and, and Les Pauls. What and, fuzz pedals? Um, well, Nina got a rat and okay. yeah. And, um, I got a big muff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah. you got it covered. You got both yeah. sides covered. Good. We're good. <laughs> We're yeah. good. We're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was also a big Nirvana fan. So I, and Pixies, as I said, and we went to go see the breeders pod uh, show at the Metro. Did you go to that? Did you guys see that? The Breeders the po- Pod show. No, I did not see the pod show, but we saw a ton of Last Splash shows. Okay. Well, yeah. obviously. You're cooler than me. That's amazing, yeah. but I am slightly cooler. Yes. Yeah. Um, because that, because pod was like, it, to me, it's up there with, and I hope I don't upset anybody by this, but it's up there with Slint Spiderland. Like pod, pod and, and, and Spiderland are was- like. Was Tanya Donnelly playing with them on, on the pod tour? Um, you know, she didn't play. It was okay. already Kelly. Um, and it was weird that Tanya wasn't there because I also loved the belly record. The first belly oh, record so star. It's great. So good. It's so good. Yeah. It still really holds up too. It's, it's just a fucking great record. Yeah. Red, red moon. It's my favorite. Oh, I know you should cover that. So good. Uh, okay, great idea. I'll do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, so um, we Nina and I were we went to go see that show, and it was it just changed us. It and we were, you know, when we were making American Thighs later, um, jumping forward a little, we were like, do that, do it like Kim. You know, uh-huh. we were just thought we no one would ever hear our record. We weren't trying to rip anyone off. We were just like loving Kim Deal and loving Pod so much. Um, and so anyway, we were working in our, in our living rooms and, um, and, you know, we had our rituals, like we'd go up to my house and there was, um, a burrito place nearby. I know you're big in the Chicago burritos thing, Scott. I used to be, I, well, this, I, I OD'd on that, those things a long time ago. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait till you get to that day. episode. <laughs> what? Wait till you get to that episode of the podcast. Yeah. 
So we had this place called uh, Wands, and it, was, um, it used to be like an ice cream, um, what do you call them, a fountain, like an ice cream fountain. Right. But we would order Wands burritos every time we would come to my house. And when we go to Nina's house, we would have baked potatoes and <laughs> le petit pois, you know, petits, legends, whatever they are, this, like baby peas and um, and Entenmann's chocolate donuts. You know how you associate mm. food with places? So yeah. that was our thing. And we'd work and write songs. And then um, we realized we wanted to start a band. And um, I had actually gone to see, um, I went to go see, I went to go meet this woman to start a band with her potentially before I met Nina. And we were met at the Avalon. She's like, you want to go see, meet me at L7, the L7 show? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know who that is, but okay. And so I went to the, go see the show at the Avalon and I never met we were the there. woman. We were there. You were there? Yeah, I was there. Wow. It was a good one. Well, so I didn't know who they were. So yeah. um, being completely sexist myself, I thought that they must be these really cool female roadies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, these guys have really cool female roadies. Right. And then they picked up their instruments and started playing and like blew my hair back. I was just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> um, so I wanted to start with Nina. I wanted to start an all-female band. And so we we auditioned some female drummers and bass players and um, it just wasn't right, you know? And then Steve, our bass player, answered our ad in the reader um, for a dreamy grunge band with the influence by Big Black, the Pixies, and My Bloody Valentine. And he mm-hmm. he called us up and he said, I'm not a chick, but um, <laughs> but I really like your influences. And so we said, okay. And he came up and he was absolutely perfect. Then we were auditioning drummers and like we, there was like, you know, like a jock drummer who came in and I just felt wrong. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know why this is wrong. It's just wrong. And I didn't know yet what I valued in a drummer. I didn't know yet what style I valued and why. And, mm-hmm. um, but I just knew it was wrong. And then Jim came in, um, like th- these guys had all the chops and whatever. Right. But Jim came, Jim was like, I'll come play with you guys. I'm not a drummer, but I'll come play just to give you an idea of a different feel. Right. And so we met down in uh, my friend Chiyoko Yoshida's basement. It's where Squash Blossom used to rehearse. And Jim came down and played on, um, played on their kit and I really like the next I don't know what happened like he wasn't really a trained drummer or anything but he his feel was just exactly right and uh, that night I said can you get a kit and join the band and he's like yeah and I woke up the next day so happy right like something incredible had happened and um that's how we started and then when we 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 played we rehearsed for a while and we played a few shows and i mean we played phyllis's musical in our first show and then i think Zarbar or elbow room and um brad wood was for some reason at our first show and we flyered the hell out of chicago like we would just do that whole pasting thing right. um and print a million flyers and then just cover walls with them and um and um, so we played a few shows and then we, 
I would just literally like I took uh, being the organizable band geek I was. I took our, our we we recorded a four song demo with my friend Joy Gregory who was in um, the Looking Glass Theater Company and also in a band called Tart. She mm-hmm. um, she had a boyfriend who had a recording studio in, in the South Side, and she's like, "Well, he'll record you guys." So we paid him three hundred bucks, and he recorded us recorded four songs for us. And I took that demo to like all the bookers like at the avalon at the elbow room at uh, lounge acts um i don't think the bottle was even in existence yet right so whatever all the clubs were phyllis's and i you know i set up a meeting and or cold called and then like followed up and um and we got booked and then we got one of our songs got put on a compilation for a festival and then this guy jim powers um who just loved zoo records because they wouldn't sign liz fair and he was trying to get them to and he was really irritated so she went (laughs) off to matador and because he brought liz fair to zoo records and they're like pass and he's like screw you guys i'm gonna make my start my own record label and so that's how minty fresh started and then we were his second signing i think and um he had a deal with brad wood where we just signed with him after three shows. We're like, oh, cool. You want three records? Great. Where do Jesus. we sign? Jesus. So it was oh the third God. show. Third show. So it, it did happen real fast. It happened really fast. Yeah. I mean, so, in I terms mean, of being a live band, it happened fast. Yeah. I don't know how you dealt with it. Were you able to take it or were you just, were you, did you just think that's the way it went and you, you know, you didn't even think about it? I, we were definitely, taken off guard um i mean chicago is a place where you know you pay your dues for a long time before something's supposed to happen or you're supposed to anyway um but i I will say that i felt like what nina and i had was really special from straight out of the gates and i thought there was something about our voices together and our songs that was really special and um i didn't know when we made American Thighs that anyone would ever hear our record, we thought like our families and our boyfriends would hear our record and that would kind of be it, our friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember the day we were recording, uh, Jim Powers had a deal with Brad Wood where he would record his seven inches for him. And then Jim's like turned that into like, well, why don't instead of doing like 12 seven inches, can you just record this old Veruca Salt record for me? And um and it, we, we were in with Brad and he was in Liz Fair's band and he had recorded Exile and Guyville. So he was, that was his sort of like, there's his heart was there. Right. He would talk about Liz a lot. And at the time she was just really taking off. And I remember right when Exile hit, like he got the call that Exile and Guyville had just hit like 250,000 copies sold. And he was really excited and he shared that news with us. And I was like, wow. <laughs> 250,000. I was like, how many do you think we'll sell? And he said, I don't know, like 10,000. And I said, I was like, oh, my friend Antenna, my friend John Strom has a band Antenna and they sold 10,000. So that sounds good to me. Right. That's, that's like, that's a lot. And, um, and so, that's not what happened. That's but not what that's happened. really, no, that's, that's not no, what but, but that's what I thought, you know, that's just what I thought might happen. So when it, when it, when more happened, 
um, it was, it was shocking. It was shocking to all of us. Like, and we all kind of dealt with it in our own way and it wasn't all functional. Right. Um, you know, it was a lot for four people who had just begun playing as a band to internalize and, and know how to process. I mean, and, um, it sounded like you came up around a lot of like a, an indie scene. Like, did you, yeah. did you start to feel like when things took off for you guys that you alienated those people or that they were alienating themselves from you? Absolutely. We felt, we were like really hurt by yeah. what we felt was Chicago turning its back on us. Like our own indie scene turning its back on us because we had a video directed by the one and only Tim Rutilli right. on MTV, you know. That's pretty that indie. It's a pretty indie video. Yeah. And it's in Chicago. Right. And it's, I mean, it's in Wicker Park and our Bucktown, I think it's technically Wicker Park. And, um, you know, because we had a hit single and we were in the, what, you know, the Bow's Boon, um, we got so much shit and it really hurt our feelings. And, you know, poor us or whatever, but we, we really, it really was hard for us emotionally to, to deal with that. And, um, like we went to play, we came home to play the bottle once and there was some nasty graffiti about us in the women's bathroom and sound check. And we're like, really? Like mm. you hate us this fast, this fast, right. you know, like we were like the indie darlings and suddenly, you know, Pete Margusak is like hating on us like like oh it just was so fast how like quickly everyone sort of turned on us we were just like nobody and then suddenly we were the most it felt like to us like most loathed band <laughs> and so we wrote this ep and recorded it with steve albini and we were going to call it blow it out your indie ass it's for assault right and then we just decided to cut the middle part and just call it blow it out your ass it's for assault and um, we put that out right after American Thighs. And then the next Great record. Great cover. Like, oh, thank you. And we did that with a Chicago photographer, Paul Elledge, um, in Bucktown. Um, and. I mean, having to was, deal with male critics, it's got to be weird. Because, I mean, they've either got a crush on you or you're being dismissed. I mean, to me, it's this double-edged sword that I, I don't know how how you can win. God, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. Like, Margusak's going to turn his back on you so quickly like that? I mean, that's not something that that I think a lot of male bands would have to put up with. Well, he came back around after, you know, everybody likes it like an underdog. So once we were, <laughs> once we had some shit thrown at us, he was like, all right, they're actually not so bad, you know? <laughs> well, maybe he saw his I part mean, in it. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. We got to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but um, Bill Wyman was always a champion. And, um, you know, um, Joe at Metro was a big champion of ours. And and um, and so were, you know, uh, the Lounge Axe women. And there were a lot of women and men on our side, very much so, and, and championing us. It wasn't like everybody, everybody turned their back, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But we just did, because we were still smarting from all that, we just, we were opening for live on this shed tour. Right. And I, we were every, 
every day at catering, we would listen to them ring out the live sound guy would ring out the PA with um, Enter Sandman. Uh-huh. And we were like, our manager at the time, we just decided, you know what? Fuck all y'all. We are going to sign with Q Prime. These like at that time, these metal dinosaurs. Right. And we're going to do like you're going to go for it. We're going to just going to do like freaking arena rock. Like what right. sounds better than Enter Sandman? Let's sign up Bob Rock. Because <laughs> right. we were talking to Brendan O'Brien, whom we really liked. And he's like, I get burned out after, on a record after like seven weeks. We're done. He might have said two. I think he said seven. And we were such novices, really, at our instruments that we're like, oh, no, we're not a seven week record. I know for some <laughs> people that might sound like an epic amount of time, but we're like we're like a three month record. Mm-hmm. Like we need, we really need to dig in and like go for it. And we can't have someone, I can't, I can't know that the person at the helm is of course, it's always us at the helm, but the person who's like pushing the buttons and, you know, producing whatever, however you look at producing. And that's always very different person to person. Uh, I can't feel like they're impatient. So Bob Rock was like, yeah, you come down to Hawaii for like four months and we'll just make a record. We're like, yeah. Yeah. And and that's what we did. And we right. to, to us at the time, that was the most punk rock thing we could do was come out with that record. Right. Which was eight arms to hold you. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just say fuck it. If you're going to if you're going to get vilified for it, just go for it. Right. Yeah.
What was the bowling place, Gabe? Yeah, Diversity Fireside Rock and Bowl. Well, the Fireside Bowl is where the punk rock shows were happening, but the Diversity Bowl is where the punk rock bowling was happening. The the well, the rock and roll bowl. The, the rock and roll, the indie rock bowling. Yeah. Yes. Well, we played the Fireside Bowl with the Amps, our hero Kim, right. you know, um, on Halloween, right after we put out um, Below we Your Ass. You were there? Yeah. I helped you uh, carry your amp on stage. You did? Yeah. <laughs> so sweet, Scott. <laughs> you were very sweet. Well, I also um, remember uh, Kim being like, really like, like, like if if you were ever worried about ripping off the breeders, obviously she didn't seem to mind because she no, was no, she didn't care. Really cool about it, right? No, she loved us. She was like, I remember the the moment of truth about that was somebody in, uh, asked her in a spin article, like, so what about this band for salt? Like, do you think they rip you? She's like, no way. Like, more power to them. They they're cool. You know, she just totally gave us, you know, her blessing and. Uh, acknowledgement and respect and that meant everything to us right um then we became friends you know friendly and hung out various times and then played that really fun show and played pool together did you play pool too with us i'm sorry i don't remember you carrying my amp on stage no i remember we all sat in that booth and you know i just Mm -hmm. had this huge crush on kim so she just sitting there smoking cigarettes and hey what's going on kid you know it's just like oh this is great Yeah, well, I ended up at a Best West Airport Best Western that night with Kim, Ooh. and with the, with the band. I'm not exactly sure what was happening. <laughs> um, there may or may not have been a kiss between me and Kim that night. So Scott, I got lucky, and you didn't. Ooh, all right, yeah. Well. But then you and I played, uh, we, we were the ones who were bowling over at the Diversity Bowl, the Rock and Bowl that Gabe was talking about. Right. Were Gabe, you that was probably Gabe? the last time you bowled, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Last time you bowled? You haven't you bowled. bowled in 25 years? <laughs> last time you bowled? <laughs> I bowled on Saturday of last week. But yeah, we I was probably the only one pulling up to the Diversity Rock and Bowl with their own balls. Because I, you know. <laughs> hey, <I'm>, what? <laughs> with their own bowling balls. Oh, I see. Because, you know. And I, probably we had, we had, shoes, right? You had your own ball. Yeah, I had my shoes. shoes, my ball, my wrist guard, all that stuff. You know, all, everything that yeah, Louis. <laughs> Gabe will not ball. He will not bowl without his own ball, or his shoes. He won't do it. It's not the same. It's like a. It, it's a, ridiculous, Gabe. You're going to beat the pants off of anybody that you play with. You don't need your own ball or your. What's it shoes. like? He keeps wanting to tell us what it's like. What's the analogy? I'm trying to describe. He doesn't what it's have like. it. Yes, it's like a. It's like an ice skater, a figure skater, using skates from that they rent at the roller they're still going to kick ass on no, but rental they can't skates. do the jumps they can't do the twists all that stuff it's not the same what, i have an can't... analogy okay Go here ahead. it goes no the analogy is okay so i've become a skier i'm a snow skier now yes. and um i i've been renting skis for years um and it only happened because my daughter turned four and my husband's like oh time to teach, teach the kid to ski and I was like, you know how to ski? He's like, yeah, I know how to ski. <laughs> I've known this guy for like, let's see, how many years at that point did I know him? I don't know, 14. I'm like, you know how to ski? <laughs> He's like, yeah. So um, I'm like, oh, yeah, you told me that once. So 
all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so my husband and daughter are going to ski. My four-year-old's going to learn to ski. Am I going to learn to ski at this Mm -hmm. point? Or am I just going to like, you know, go with the hot tub and go like take a walk. And I thought, don't be a pussy, just go learn to ski. And so I took a lesson and um, and then took another lesson. And then I did the bunny hill for like, you know, many, many times until I got to the next level. And I started going up in the green for many, many times. And then I went up in the blue and I'm still not a very good skier, but I have my own skis now. And I know that I don't want to go back to rental. I have my own skis and boots and I do not want to rent. So I have total respect for you. All right. And and your feeling about having your own shoes and your own ball. I get it. If you had to, you would, right? Yes. Me or I wouldn't. <laughs> yes, no, no, I'm not but... talking to you, Gabe. I know your answer. <laughs> Here's the analogy that 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 I think is going on here. It's like if somebody, it's like if you w- walked in and you had like a brick in your in your uh, boxing glove and you got into the ring. See, you've got an unfair advantage against the rest of us. Anyway, you're not competing when you're like going down a hill skating, but when you're bowling each other and you walk in with your own gear. It's a little shady, my man. I know, but I'm not hustling you for money. We're just having fun, but I have more you, fun. You better not, because we have ways to deal with hustlers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we had a good time. I, I had a good time. I, I must have went three or four times to the Diversity Rock and Bowl. Every time I walked in there, they're playing Highway to Hell, full blast. It was oh, a good yeah. time back then. Was, those were good days. Uh, I remember when Scott came on the scene. I remember when Local Age came on the scene. Like, you... You may have already been there, but I didn't know you guys. And that's, I feel like that's when we met. Like, I remember meeting you and I remember that you really liked Zeppelin. And I remember thinking you were super (laughs) cool. (laughs) And I thought you were cute. Well, I thought they were, I thought they were an Israeli band. That's why I liked them so much. What? It's a callback to what you said earlier. That's what we did. Ah, (laughs) oh, I see. Oh, see, I see. (laughs) <laughs> sorry it's okay. i missed the call back <laughs> it's okay what was the most fun tour that you ever did um mm, let me think about the bands we've toured with we toured with um live so no not live no uh, um bush no no not bush um, <laughs> uh, we toured with you that was fun that was fun um we toured with the muffs and oh, um, yeah. toured with uh, the Muffs and um, Fig Dish. And we toured with Hole and uh, Matter Rose. I love Matter Rose. Oh, right. Matter Rose. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I toured with the Cupcakes. A very short tour, but that was an incredible tour. Yeah. Really, really fun. Um, a lot of fighting yeah. going on there? I mean, it was only them? a week. It was only a week. <laughs> So like there wasn't enough time to get all fighting going. I don't think there were really at that time. I don't think they were fighting. They what, could have been. What about that last tour that Veruca Salt did? I mean, I think you guys were sort of like the first band that I ever saw that kind of fell, fell apart, like right in front of me. And it was crazy, you know. I mean, you definitely weren't the last, but you're the first. And, and the thing about it is there's like no lesson that you can learn from it. You know, it's like when it happens to you, as it happens to every band, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, were we touring with you in triple fast? Yeah. Yeah. 
Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I remember that tour. I remember playing the Odeon for some reason really well. Um, is that Cleveland? Yep. Yeah. Um, and well, that would have been like the end of 97. So yeah, like, uh, we were, we were internally combusting. Yeah. Cause Jim was gone by that point too. Yeah. Jim left the band right after, um, right after the recording of eight arms to hold you. And we called Jim like our, the moral glue. Mm -hmm. And when, when he left, things started deteriorating because already there was, there's a lack of trust between me and Nina and like the typical, well, let me backtrack. We were in new Orleans once and Vicki Peterson from, from, um, the bangles was, we were hanging out with her and she is so cool. And she yeah. was saying to us, she's like, don't let them like the industry, the them, right. Don't let them pit you against each other. They're going to try. They're going to try. Oh. And, I, and it's exactly what happened wow. because, you know, whether it was, I mean, certainly it was people within our, in our little circle and our boyfriends or whatever, like people that, you know, I don't know, personal live stuff, but there were also managers and people that were doing you know, these whisperings, like, um, I don't know go off on your own, do this. Like really? you don't need her. You don't need her. Yeah. There was stuff like that happening. And, um, some of it was just really subversive and we became like, we had some problems with our label. Um, we always felt, even though it was a great label to be on, we felt like our hand was forced in signing to Geffen because, um, Jim Powers had done a deal with Minty with Minty Fresh had done a deal with Geffen. Mm -hmm. And so if, even if we had want, we were being courted by all the majors. And even if we had wanted to sign to Virgin, for example, which we did, cause we loved the A&R guy we met there, um, Mark Williams, even if we had signed with them, we would have had to re-record American Thighs for it to come out because the distribution arm was Ooh. different. So we actually had a meeting with Butch Vig up at, um, uh, oh my God, what's the bar that's right next to the Metro? Uh, Gingerman. Yeah, Gingerman. We had, um, I spent a lot of time there, but we 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 had lunch with Butch Vig and Gingerman and uh, to talk about re-recording American Thighs so that we could wow. put it out on the label of our choice versus being having to do this deal with Geffen because Jim Powers had signed our our contract away, you know? And Jim would Jim would characterize this differently. Like he let us know what was going on and he felt like he was very clear and everything was all cool. And there was just a like a giant chasm of misunderstanding between us and Minty Fresh mm -hmm. um, that, that, you know, has healed. I mean, we're, we're friendly now, um, but it was at the time um, we felt like it was this big betrayal and, you know, and, and really the stakes were not so high. It was like either Geffen or Capital, like really, um, yeah. um, or Virgin, like, you know, that was like a quality problem, but we were so like everything, like you said, how did you handle success? What it felt like was that the stakes were so high with every decision we made that we overthought everything. And we had this like disease of overthinking and second guessing. And instead of just like, be cool, just do the next positive indicated action and just, 
you know, like <laughs> release the video. Don't worry too much. Steve Hampton is a good director. Don't like not give the label the video because you think that it's aesthetically not up to par. You know, like <laughs> right. it, it was just we got this crazy, these crazy thoughts, like everything had to be perfect, like this disease of perfection. And also like the sense that if we misstep, everything's going to come tumbling down. And the stakes felt so high. But the stakes and were high. The stakes were higher for you guys than other bands. Were. You know, that's I the way I remember were. it. Like yeah. you guys were, the things that were going around you were so much crazier than the things that were going around like us or Fig Dish or anything like that. Yeah, they were big. They did feel like that. And it felt like a lot of people were counting on us. And um, we were we were meant to, you know, there was we were an investment and we were meant to, like, make that money back for these, you know, these like yep. big corporate giants. And um, and we stopped communicating. And that's really where things fall apart. And we really stopped, like, really communicating and being really honest with one another about the process, what was going on. And um, once there was like the, some division, like a, a sort of something in there, like a thorn, you know, mm -hmm. inserted, it just, we didn't recover from that. And it just got kind of wider and vaguer and bigger. And um, so that by the time that tour you're mentioning rolled around, we were really disappointed that Eight Arms to Hold You hadn't gone um, hadn't gone, hadn't really taken off more than it did. And we felt like, we felt like we were failures. Hmm. We felt like we had failed. And that was um, just because our second single didn't have the success that we wanted it to. So things were not really right-sized in our minds, you know? Like in hindsight, it's easy to say like, why didn't we just go back in the studio and make another record? It was in a contract. You know, right. it's not like they were going to drop us because our second single didn't make us platinum or multi-platinum. Um, we could have just gone back in the studio like a normal band and make another record and lick our wounds and and look at our like incredible uh, successes and see it, the glass as half full and not half empty. But um, we were again, I think we both we all felt like the stakes were so high and Jim had left the band. So we had a new drummer and so I think when any member leaves a band, something shifts, you know, mm -hmm. at least in my experience, something shifts, the character of the band shifts and where Jim had been a very particular, specific, absolutely essential part of our band and the lineup of our band and the dynamic in our band, he was gone. Right. And I think part of us at the time was relieved because we felt like Jim was unhappy and he wanted to do his own thing. And, right. um, and he did. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And um, and it was clear that he needed to. So there wasn't like bad blood there. Um, it was just that we, he was missed and he was missed in ways that we didn't even articulate or understand at the time. Right. I don't think we really understood it until we all got back together and played again. The four of us. There's nothing anybody could say that you could fix a situation like that because, you know, don't even really know what's happening when it's happening yeah and i mean our publicist at the time nina and i had a falling out and our publicist was like why don't you guys just like do mick and keith and just like 
have a fist fight, you know, just uh-huh. like, like just duke it out, you know, like why can't, why do women have to just go to each other opposite corners and hate each other forever? Like, I'm not saying that men don't, but right. you know, there was something about something about like, just I, our publicist was the one that was like, just just get a, get some Nerf bats and beat the hell out of each other and be done with it, you know? And make like, a video of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that's a good idea. Yeah. Nerf bat video, that would have right. been a good idea. So in hindsight, you know, we look back at these decisions we made, we made um, the ways in which our communication broke down. And it's really easy to see now, like what we would have done differently, but, um, it's also really easy to see what an incredible time we had and like what an amazing time and chapter of our lives that was Mm -hmm. and how you can look at things in different ways. And one way is that, and a really important way is that we had a blast and we had, we made these records that we're so proud of together and, um, and all is not lost because we didn't ascend to the heights that we had planned to ascend to. Um, And if anything, things happen the way they needed to, to become the people we are today. So that's, that's all very clear to me now. But back then when we were playing the Odeon in Cleveland, um, you know, things, it wasn't, it wasn't so clear. <laughs> to right. put it lightly. I'm sorry I brought that up. I, we, we can cut that out if you want, you know. Which part? <laughs> just talking about all this stuff, you know, it just feels... I don't, I don't, I don't know if people want to talk about stuff like this cause we don't, but I just, th- I, it was fascinating to me and it's a fascinating memory for me to, that I saw that, you know, and that it was like, wow, I'm never going to let that happen to me. And then it happens to you, you know, it's just one of those things that it's this runaway train that you can't stop and you think you can, but you can't, you know, not until you're in someone else's shoes and then you still can't. Well, it's funny you say that because, and I really appreciate your saying that, um, because it's true. You can only learn it yourself. Um, it's sort of like, for, in my experience, like being a, uh, a mom. I people all, you know, you can tell people what it's like. People can tell me what it's like, how difficult it is, how hard it is, how much your life will change. Until, but not until you are responsible for another human being in my experience, can you actually know what that feels like? And um, the weight of that, you know, the beauty, but the weight of it um, and the transformative power of it. So I appreciate your saying that because it really, it does mean a lot to me. Um, Cause at the time I felt like we were so unique, you know, like this has only ever happened to us. Right. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, it was excruciating, yeah. you know? And, um, and I was, you know, reeling from that for years after that, reeling from that time and that that chasm, like the schism or whatever between me and Nina, it was like, it was just such heartbreak um, and reacting to it for years after that. Um, but I remember talking to Billy Corgan about it, um, someone I admire a lot and whose music and trajectory I've, I've admired a lot. And, um, I remember him saying, don't, don't keep Veruca Salt going with other members. You can't do that. Hmm. And I remember thinking, you that's did what it. I'm going <laughs> to, well, he hadn't yet. You're, you're, he okay, hadn't. All right. <laughs> so it was just an interesting thing that you just said that reminded me of Billy saying that because later I saw him do that, do exactly right. that, you know? Right. Um, and like, I guess to go full circle, 
it feels really liberating and incredible right now to not be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, uh, it's sort of really freeing actually to, to just be making a name, um, a record under my own name and it feels really authentic and, um, exciting to be honest, really yeah. exciting. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear the rest of it. And if I can get those goddamn tracks to work, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, uh, you got to resend them. You got to resend them. Cause that, yeah, I, that the song that did work is so good and you know, it sounds so like you, but it, it doesn't sound like Bruce It sounds like I could hear it on the radio next to anybody right now. You know, that's really nice, Scott. Thank you. That's true. Okay. Thank you. Gabe's got, Gabe's got the, <laughs> the million dollar question. Go ahead, it's not Gabe. Not really the million. It's like the twenty dollar question. Uh, it's it is like the, it's question. the dollar ninety eight question. <laughs> yes, because in my mind and in Ben's mind, we don't think we know the answer to this. But I don't think I know the answer to this one. And Scott doesn't know either. But usually we have an inkling when we have a guest and we ask him. Iron this one Maiden, could go either way. Iron Maiden or the Replacements. Which one is the essential band you cannot live without? You have to have them on your collection on the deserted island. Iron Maiden. Or the replacements. Um, okay, the replacements, but um, only because of um, my favorite song by them, and I have to find it now because it's been so long. Swinging party. No, no, no. Unsatisfied. It's like, no. Here comes a regular. Going. Can you like the? Can you edit this so that I can find my favorite song nope. later? <laughs> no. Nope. Ben's nope. like, yeah, I have that in my power. Um, nope. Oh, oh, it's, um, oh, it's answering machine. Oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite replacement song. And that is the one that is, goes on the playlist that I cannot live without. But, um, I'm not, I'm not like a massive replacements fan, but I'm a huge fan of that song. I also like waiters in the sky. Um, but I'm not like a, I'm not like a big replacements fan. And I don't know if I know Iron Maiden. I, I I don't know if I know any Iron Maiden. You don't know a single Iron Maiden song? I don't know. Do I? Run to the Hills? <laughs> How does it go? Run to the Hills. Was it played on like Casey in St. Louis? Do what, you know what, what Casey no. is, is classic rock St. Louis station. Is it? It might have been too metal for that. Yeah. No. I love that I you guys live in a universe, Gabe and Scott, where you can't even imagine that Louise or anybody else would not be able to name a single Iron Maiden song. How could you not know Run to the Hills? I, if you asked me, staple. I would, I'd be, I'd be in the same boat as Louise. I'd be like, I don't know, I don't, I can't recall any that, song. No. Um, no, no, <laughs> That's right. but I, I, are they like Judas Priest or are they different? Um, uh, you, uh, you, you see that smoke coming out of Gabe's ear right now. <laughs> 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 the mic drop. Dude, mic drop. I'm, I've had enough of this shit. No. You know who else doesn't know Iron Maiden? Juliana Hatfield did not know Iron Maiden. She doesn't. See, I'm in good did. company. Juliana Hatfield thought Metallica was Iron Maiden. 
<laughs> she was like, that, that's Iron Maiden. That's a great song. I'm like, that's Metallica. She's like, okay, <laughs> all right. You know, that's cool. I'm, I'm in good company, right? With Juliana? Yeah. You can, yeah. Both, you're yeah. both skiers. Is she a skier? She is a skier. First oh, I time I ever went skiing was with her and the band. And Todd took me all the way up to the top, to the mountain, to the, uh, the diamond slope. Just said, come on, man, let's go. And it was oh, no. pretty terrifying. That's <laughs> awful. I hate it when people do that. Were you okay? I, I'm alive. Did you like it or was it just awful? I loved it. Oh, it was, it, was, it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. So wait, are you a skier? You love skiing? I love it. Yeah. I Do you want to go skiing? Yeah, let's go skiing. Okay. Okay. I always, I'm always looking for like people I really like, like good friends to ski because there aren't a lot of people who like to ski in my experience. Every year I think I'm going to go skiing and then I don't go. And it's, 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 it's just one of those things. So I, so I have to tell this story because Scott and I have been playing um, this, you know, DM thing for like a year now. Um, and the, and Scott just, his, 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 I get notifications whenever I get an instant message. And so <laughs> I'm literally on, I've literally, I'm like at midway down the mountain in Tahoe, um, get having a break, like a drink break or whatever. And I'm sitting there um, with my daughter and my husband and my phone is in front of me. And um, this version of Toxic starts playing over the loudspeaker. And it's like, you know, it's rocking. And I'm like, it's fucking local H. And I look down <laughs> on my phone and literally at that very moment, it says Scott Lucas. And, the, and what he says was, ahem. <laughs> I'm like, okay, universe, I see you. I could not believe it. It was the weirdest thing. But you still um, put me off for six months. The universe gives you that, <laughs> that just shakes you right there. And you're like, yeah, I can wait longer. What a cool <laughs> ski slope, though. Uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't it's mean to, Scott. I didn't oh, mean no. to, but I will tell you that the bottom of the ski slope was like mashed potatoes and I fell and luckily I did not have rentals and my skis popped off and it was what they call a yard sale when your poles and skis are everywhere else and you probably <laughs> broke a limb. Yeah. But um, everything was intact, but it was like, it was late spring Tahoe and it was really soupy. But I had that the, the best moment. Well, there was some there was some really nice powder. I had a good time. But the best moment was actually that synchronistic moment where I'm listening to Toxic and I'm like, oh my god, this is local H. And all of a sudden, I look at my phone and it's Scott Lucas right there. <laughs> it was just incredible. Like, <clears throat> well, it's good. Well, it was funny because I went to a bar later on that day and I think it was National Women's Day and they were playing Vruka Salt. So I was like, now you're playing. Yeah. Then, then I didn't hear from you for six months. It was our day. <laughs> it was our day to, it was our day to, now we can commemorate the six month anniversary of that beautiful yeah. day with finally doing our podcast. What am, What number am I? One. Seven. <laughs> uh, thank you. Nice. That's the right answer, Scott. We've reset the count for you. 
Maybe it all starts again now. Maybe it all starts over. (laughs) That sounds good to me.
Oh my god, the bunny suit though. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, the bunny suit. What about that like what about that? <laughs> what? What about that? <laughs> <laughs> can't get it out. Wow! Here we go. Let's start the podcast right now. <laughs> what about that dildo <laughs> that you put that we put in the microphone stand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you that, put it on the snare drum or something? All the time. Put like that, a bunch that, of baby powder. <laughs> was that the end of the tour pranks that were going on? That was what going on. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> I mean, but that was in. That was in Texas that that nonsense started. Was it? Oh, Jobson hated us. It's like, cut it out. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys were tormenting Nina with the dildo. That's what happened. That was so mean. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, she had a dildo target on her back. I thought you were going to say she had it coming. That's no, really I wasn't going to say that. Sorry. Just came out. Yeah, it was good. Good stuff. Oh my god, I have a I have a Polaroid of Wes in the bunny suit. Everyone does. 